Welcome to Sober Talk. I'm Dennis and I have lived experience of alcohol. If you or anyone you know is struggling with alcohol, please call Alcoholics Anonymous on 1300 2 or check out their website on aa.org.au. I'll just run through the preamble of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other. They must solve their common problems and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses or opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to steer some and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. Hi, my name's Emmy and I'm an alcoholic. Um, hopefully my story, my experience, my strength and my hope, both before and after recovery, can help somebody with uh, some identification into my story. And uh, hopefully you can find some parallels between my drinking story and yours. So I first started drinking when I was fairly young, about nine years old. Um, my mum was having um, a, a party and um, she asked me and my siblings to be the like the wine people and the hosts. And my brother and sister were quite fine, uh, but I decided to finish off all the dregs of everyone else's drinks and I got quite drunk. I remember a lot of it, but I do remember that it gave me a really good feeling. Um, not so much um, the physical side of it, but emotionally, like I just, I kind of felt happy and, you know, like at ease. Yeah, that idea of eat, being at ease and comfort, that was me. Because um, I always felt really uncomfortable. Um, I had a really dysfunctional family, an abusive childhood. Um, so being able to um, do something which took that away momentarily was really, really good. Um, so... I continued drinking, um, not regularly at that age, but uh, by 12, um, you know, I was raiding the, um, my dad's um, cooking brandy and masala and he like had a, a shelf of alcohol um, out in the open and I just used to drink that. He knew I, he knew I did. Um, he didn't really do anything, but yeah, I would um, get quite drunk um, and uh, by the time I was 14, I'd left school um, and I'd started a job and that job was really, um, yeah, really unpleasant. Um, the boss was also abusive and it was just horrible. Um, and I guess I kind of, I left school to be able to get free of my family situation because um, I thought if I could leave school and get independent, um, you know, I could kind of get, get out of that situation. Um, but yeah, it, my situation just went um, went from bad to worse. And then I started drinking pretty heavily. Um, so I hooked up with another chick who worked there um, at the same place and um, we just both drank a lot. Um, so at that age, I kind of had two types of drinking. Um, one was with this girl at, at my work um, where we just drank really, really badly and heavily, um, really destructively. It was kind of very bleak and horrible. Um, and, you know, we get into trouble, we get thrown out of pubs, we get barred, you know, all the stupid stuff. Um, and then I used to go out for my sister, um, who was older than me. I was the youngest. 
and um, we go to pubs and clubs and we get people to buy us drink and we'd just be stupid and muck around and it was kind of funny Um, but yeah it kind of stopped being funny um, because by the time I was in my 20s um, I was just drinking all the time and uh, there's so much of my 20s that I just don't remember um, I'd had a breakdown when I was 16. I'd been in and out of institutions. Um, yeah, and life was just really, really messy. Um, I, I just didn't know how to navigate life. Um, I knew I wanted something different and I wanted to get out of where I was, uh, which was, you know, living with my family um, who were really dysfunctional. Um, I was just unhappy. And so I um, tried to get a job in the country. I used to get the country land newspaper and um, look for Dillery and Jackery jobs, and I got one. Um, but then that didn't work out, so I came back home. Then I started art school, and that was good, but then, you know, I just had this breakdown, um, nervous breakdown. And, yeah, that was five years in and out of institutions. Um, I'd kind of go in into a hospital Obviously, I couldn't drink while I was in there. Um, I'd kind of get myself together a little bit. I'd come out and just go into mayhem again. Um, I was on a lot of medication. Uh, I actually had PTSD, but no one knew it back then. This is a long time ago. No one knew what PTSD was, really, unless you were a a veteran. And even then, it was not that known. Um, But, yeah, I had PTSD. PTSD. Um, But none of the doctors knew this, so they just diagnosed me with everything they could think of um, and put me on a whole chunk of medication, walking zombie. And I used to read the back of the medications, and it would say... Um, don't uh, consume alcohol when you're on this medication. And I think, well, that's ridiculous. How can you not consume alcohol? It actually perplexed me. I thought, that, that how can you ask someone not to do that? Um, I just thought it was like my right to consume alcohol. It, like, I couldn't imagine anything else. And I'd think, well, great. I'll get more messed up um, if I'm drinking while I'm also on these medications. Um, well, I just, yeah... <laughs> I didn't get better, that's for sure. Um, Eventually, uh, I met someone in one of the hospitals that I was staying in and uh, we both did a geographical uh, right up um, up to North Queensland. And that was when some parts of my life started to improve. Um, I got away from my family um, and uh, even though we drank a lot, uh, I was kind of out of that toxic environment of... um, going in hospital, um, getting medicated, uh, coming home, being in back of my family, doing stupid stuff, drinking, you know, being out of sorts and then back again. It was just such a such a, a merry-go-round. It was really, really horrible. Um, so, yeah, um, I was able to kind of get out of that. Um, and I always managed to uh, find other people who drank heavily, like like I did, um, and this person was very much like that. And we just we just spent a lot of time just drinking, drinking so much. Our life was just so looking back it was so bleak. There was just nothing in it. Just drinking, um, you know, waking up. Uh, I was had a cleaning job, going clean, um, come back and do it all again. Um, we went from. Cairns to Melbourne um, and back then it was really easy to rent. Um, I was on the pension uh, so you know money wasn't a huge issue. Uh, rentals were really cheap in Melbourne and so we just rented this really beautiful house 
Um, but all we did every day was just drink, 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 drink. It's just, I'm looking back, it's like I just spent so much time just drinking. There's all the things I could have done. Oh, man, it was just so, so bleak and horrible. Um, I used to go into the bottle shop because I, I never thought I was an alcoholic. I'd grown up with alcoholics. Um, so, I, you know, the alcoholics in my life were well, the really horrible kind, you know, just smashed all the time, you know, doing stupid things on drugs as well. So in my mind, I knew what, what an alcoholic was and I wasn't one. Um, so I used to think, well, yeah, you know, this is just what you do. You just drink. Um, you drink, you know, drink whenever you can. You smoke. I was a chain smoker. Um, and then you do other stuff in between. Uh, but the main part was, you know, what, what booze were you going to get tonight? Um, but yeah, I used to go into a bottle shop and pretend that I didn't know about alcohol. It was just so stupid. Um, cause I'd get embarrassed. I'd get embarrassed that I was going into the same bottle shops all the time and buying booze and buying so much of it. And I'd think, well, this person's going to see me and think I've got a problem and I don't want them to do that. Um, I lived in, you know, in kind of Melbourne close to the city. So there were a lot of, a lot of bottle shops around. Um, so, you know, we were able to kind of go to different bottle shops, but even so, I felt like I was you know, going too much um, to, you know, one particular bottle shop, you know, or another one or another one. And I think they're going to know that um, I've got a problem. Um, even though I didn't want to um, think that I had a problem, I wouldn't have um, said it said so myself. So I used to go into the bottle shop and I'd say, oh, I'm just, I'm looking for like a cooking wine, um, you know, something not too expensive. I don't really know much about alcohol. Can you show me something? And I'd just, I'd just drum up these ridiculous things like that. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's laughable really um, because I just couldn't, I couldn't, I just lived in so much denial. I lived in denial that my life was so bleak and, and empty. I lived in denial that um, I was shortening my life by chain smoking and drinking so much. Um, I lived in denial that I had no hope. I just kind of lived day to day, um, but each day was so full of nothing. Um, I had plans, but I couldn't continue, I couldn't follow them through. At one stage, I was really interested in religion, so I researched a lot of religion. And at one stage, um, I thought oh, I'm going to become a Buddhist. And so I, I called up the um, the local monastery um, and um, talked to them about Buddhism. About Buddhism, um, and it turned out that one of the things they asked you to do was to refrain from alcohol. I thought, what? There's no way I can do that. Um, and, and so I let that go. So just things like that. Anyway, um, my mum, um, who lived in New South Wales, um, she'd had cancer and she came out of remission. So I felt that I should go home, um, and be with her, um, because she, um, her cancer had become terminal. So that process of moving back to my family, I think that was really, really bad for me. Um, and uh, I kind of, I started to, on the surface, have all the things that, you know, showed like a normal kind of life, you know, like I dressed nicely, um, I went to study, um, I talked properly, all that kind of stuff. I drove a car, um, but inside it was an absolute mess. Um, and I got pregnant. Um, I celebrated my pregnancy um, with cocktails, um, 
I met a friend at the pub and we we're talking about my pregnancy and she said, well, I was talking while I was having a beer and a smoke. And she said, well, what are you going to do about those, like drinking and smoking? I said, well, I don't know. And I genuinely didn't know what I could do because I couldn't stop. But I guess that was my first miracle in that I actually did stop, um, but only while I was pregnant. Um, so I had four children and every time while I was pregnant, um, I wouldn't drink um, and generally wouldn't smoke. But then after I had um, my baby, it all started up again. And by the time I had my last one, um, the period of me not drinking and smoking had was just getting shorter and shorter. Um, so, you know, towards the start of the, my pregnancy and towards the end of my pregnancy and sometimes in between, I'd be drinking. Um, when I was breastfeeding, um, I, you know, wouldn't care really about because as soon as I had the baby, that's it, you know, I'd be drinking heavily. And so, you know, I'd know that I'd be breastfeeding um, and kind of giving the baby alcohol, um, but I wasn't able to really do much about it. So I'd be, you know, in the shower expressing my milk, but I'd be so drunk I couldn't do it properly and then my baby would want to feed and it was just terrible, really, really terrible way to live. Um, But what happened was um, I got married and that was a disaster and then became homeless because my marriage is quite um, abusive Um, and I think that process of becoming homeless and experiencing some really bad violence um, was something that um, was my kind of my breaking point up until then um, I knew my life was really really bad and messy and unpleasant Uh, I knew I couldn't hold on to things. I knew I wasn't healthy. I knew I was drinking too much. I didn't think I was an alcoholic, but I knew I was drinking too much and I didn't like it, but I couldn't do anything about it. Um, But when I became homeless and when I was really broken, that was my first experience of handing over. Um, And that was to the services that were involved in mine and my children's case. Um, And I think I really needed to be kind of pushed into that experience of handing over so that I could actually experience the process of letting go of my life um, or letting go of control of my life. And that then in turn allowed me when later, when I was introduced into the fellowship properly, um, to then experience or to then know a little bit of what that process of handing over is. Um, and that I could do it and, you know, everything wasn't going to fall apart in that things were going to get better. Um, so um, I'd gone into a detox, pro- a detox program before I'd became ho- become homeless and that program was a 12-step program. And so that introduced me to the fellowship. Um, and even though I didn't get it and it just seemed like it was a bunch of weirdos and, um, you know, uh, I thought this isn't for me, it's never going to work. I thought I was different and special um, and, you know, too broken and too this and too that. Um, what it did do was it showed me that there was something that worked for some people, even if I didn't think it could work for me, when nothing else I saw had worked for anyone around me in my circles. Um and so by the time I'd ended up in another homeless shelter with my kids in this tiny little country town, um, I decided to go down to my local meeting. Um, and even though I'd gone down there in the hope of finding someone who could sell me drugs because I was in a tiny country town and I didn't know anyone, what actually happened was um, I went there and I had my first experience of identification where um, I listened to somebody sharing something and I recognised what they were sharing 
um, in myself and in my own history. And it was just a little snippet, but it was just enough for something to click within me um, and something changed. Um, and like I think for everyone, it's different. Like that point when something clicks and something shifts. But for me, it was that moment of identification. Um, and really from that point on, my life really genuinely started to shift and turn. Um, and so once I was able to identify um, at my local meeting, that meant that I could suddenly have a glimmer of hope that maybe this program, which I could see genuinely worked for other people, maybe it could work for me because maybe I wasn't completely different. Um, you know, I wasn't like an alien sitting in sitting on earth. Maybe I was just another earthling sitting in a meeting and maybe something that these people were talking about could work for me. And that was my little bit of hope. Um, and that really was enough for me to build on. Um, and I certainly didn't get it straight away. Um, I had times where I picked up again. Um, it took me probably about another two or three years to really come into sobriety properly and more homelessness and more trouble. But what happened was whenever I decided to drink or drug, because by then I'd, I'd picked up a nasty drug habit, um, I couldn't do it innocently anymore because I knew what I was doing um, and I knew that there was an answer to what I was doing. I couldn't say anymore, well, I just can't do, I can't stop because I knew I could. Um, and that really took away, in a way, the innocence and uh, the ability to drink and drug um, in the same way. Um, thank goodness. Um, so eventually well, I, I came to a point um, where, you know, the kids and I had become homeless again um, and I'd, I'd picked up again. Um, we'd moved to South Australia um, and throughout all that time of being homeless in South Australia, I hadn't drank and I hadn't drugged, but I hadn't gone to meetings. Um, when we got to our place um, where we are now, my kids said, Mum, why don't you go to a meeting? Um, because they had seen enough of me um, in the fellowship and in sobriety, even though they are young, they could know that that's what that's what was needed in order for us to have some stability. Because um, we we managed to land a rental, and I think they wanted to keep it. They would have been sick of being homeless. It wasn't fun. Our last our last homelessness was really rough. We were living in a tent. It was horrible. Um, and so yeah, they said, "Mum, why don't you go to a meeting?" and you know, I do believe that my high power speaks through um, people when I need to hear things and I need, needed to hear that. Um, and I did go to my local meeting. Um, and yeah, I've been clean and sober seven years now, um, over seven years. And yeah, I think when I, when I went to my local meeting, that became my home group. And that's when things, things really fell into place. Um, I started to really, um, to really love myself, um, to allow people to love me and care for me. I started to learn to trust people again. Um, and I started to do the things that the program asks me to do, which is to get a sponsor, um, to be open and honest just with that one person. I, that's all I needed to do, just that one person, which was my sponsor. I ended up being open and honest with other people, but 
that was central um, to go through the steps um, to you know practice living in the day each day to practice connecting with my higher power um, all these things were central to my recovery um, and yeah the program for me um, it's not just one thing it's a whole lot of things um, alcohol is so isolating so having a fellowship where you can connect with other people um, that's so important for me it was so important so going to meetings is really central to my recovery um, connecting with my higher power is really central meditating even though I'm crap at it and I can only do a couple of minutes that's really central to my my recovery um, because that's when I, when I kind of uh, connect my higher power and meditate, that's my daily process of handing over because handing over is crucial to my recovery. Because if I if I take back control of my life, um, I do it badly, um, and it's important that I don't. Um, and I'll always be like that, but that's okay. Um, and yeah, connecting with other people is really important. Um, well, I think that's probably. That's me in a nutshell. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, and yeah, good luck in your own recovery. Uh, it's a really beautiful, amazing thing. I wouldn't want to change it for anything. Thanks. We have local meetings uh, for the full week in the local area. Uh, Monday is Gala meeting at 8 o'clock. Tuesday is Elizabeth East at 8 o'clock. Wednesday is Elizabeth East at 8 o'clock. Thursday is Two Wells at 8 o'clock and Friday is Salisbury at 8 o'clock. There's a meeting at Daveron Park at 12 o'clock and on Sunday there's a meeting in Salisbury at 7 o'clock and many other meetings in the area. For details of your local meetings, please phone 1300-222-222. And once again, if anyone you know is struggling with alcohol issues, please call Alcoholics Anonymous. On thirteen hundred double two double two double two. The website is aasouthaustralia.org.au.